Hey everyone, welcome to the Between the Bytes podcast. We're bringing together everything business leaders need to know about IT and technology, from cybersecurity to networking, disaster recovery in the cloud, and beyond. We're running webinars, guest podcasts, live videos, and more, and we're bringing it here together in audio format in this podcast feed. Thanks for joining us, and now on to the episode. Let's talk about passwords. Let's talk about uh-oh. Yeah, uh-oh, because frankly, passwords are the worst. Yeah. Nobody likes them. But you gotta have them. But you gotta have them. They're kind of a necessary evil. Like underwear. (laughs) You don't have to have underwear. (laughs) I mean, maybe. I mean, it's like underwear. You should change them regularly. Or should you? Or should you? (laughs) Oh. That's why we're here. (laughs) So for years, we've been told by big big tech Mm -hmm. that we need to change our passwords every, I don't know, 30, 60, 90 days. Ben, Mr. IT technician of 10, 15 years now, whatever you've been doing, is that is that correct? Uh, not now. So Microsoft and I know NIST has both officially changed their stance on that, where uh, you shouldn't change your passwords that often. You should actually set them to not expire. So if you go into Office 365 and go into the secure score, one of the settings is to set it to not expire. And the reason why is because if users have to change their passwords every 90 days, they have to try to remember a new password every 90 days. So what they're doing is that they're writing it on a sticky mm-hmm. in plain text, putting it under their keyboard, Guilty. putting it in a drawer, writing it in a book, on their hand with pen, whatever it is, right? Which then makes it less secure because people could get that password. I literally have a note in my phone with passwords. all my passwords. <laughs> yeah, and I'll have like little stars, but it's obvious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's why LastPass exists, right? That's why Google Passwords exist. So it gives you somewhere to keep those passwords so you don't have to remember them. But I don't have to change it every 60 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, here, they would have to change that policy on the network for us to do that. But Microsoft's suggestion is not to have it expire. Why uh, mm-hmm. Why the change? Because it's easier to con- easier for people to remember their passwords if, if they don't have to change it every 90 days. Right? They can set it to a passphrase or a word phrase that they can remember, but then as long they don't have to write it down and keep it somewhere because... Yeah, but I mean, we could have come to that realization three years ago. Could have. We just were slow guess, on it, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Huh. I'd, have to, I'd have to investigate that part of the why. So in terms of what makes a good password, what's a good password and uh, why? Length is a big part of it. Um, I mean, it used to be complexity, right? Numbers, capital letters, characters. Um, that, Wait, so you're telling me I don't need that, that either? That helps, but length is the thing that makes it better. So why is that? How If I was trying to hack a password, why does that make it harder? Because the longer the password, the harder it is to brute force that password, right? So they're trying to just mash it, that password, trying to figure out what it is. And so the longer the, the 
password is, the more complex or the harder it is for the hacker to get into it. Which, which now, nowadays, they don't, I mean, there are probably groups out there that still try to brute force passwords, but that's where your phishing comes in. That's where your spirit, spirit comes in, right? Because they're, they just let the human put the password in for them. So yeah. they don't have to remember what the password is. Um, for the sake of the podcast, Ben, tell us real high level, those who don't know, what is a spear phishing or phishing attempt right, right. and what does it look like? So there's a couple, but the biggest one, uh, so a, like a mass phishing attempt is people will send out uh, just a generic email, right? Looks like it's coming from Netflix, but they send it to hundreds of thousands of accounts that they have that say, hey, your Netflix account has been going to expire. Please log in, change your password. Well, it's a fake website. People log in. They have a key logger on there. They have your password. Uh, Spearing is more specifically uh, attacking one specific person. Uh, So they'll go do some research. They'll find out who the controller is of a company. They'll find out who somebody in AP is. They'll send a fake email uh, spoofed from the controller to that AP person saying, hey, please uh, cut a check or wire X amount of dollars to this account. Hmm. So passwords won't protect against that. No. What will or what could? Uh, Education teaching users on what looks like a good email and what doesn't look like a good email. That's the, that's the biggest part of fighting phishing attempts because, because they, they attack, uh, they, they don't attack your systems as much as they attack individuals, individuals and human action. Yeah. I guess that's, that's into the social engineering aspect Mm -hmm. of of cybersecurity and all that. Yeah. Maybe that's for another day. That's for another podcast. Yeah. How does multi-factor authentication play into the phishing side or just in general, passwords in general? Tell us a little bit about what it is and how it plays into all this. Yeah, so it gives you just another layer of security, right? So instead of just putting in your password and hitting OK, you'll put in a password. It'll go out and say, OK, is this a legitimate uh, account? If it is, OK there's another form of authentication, right? So it's either a text to your phone, if you have like Google or Microsoft Authenticator on your phone, it'll send a pass a passcode or pass number to that, which then you have to enter that number in. Which then helps just protect you from uh, unauthorized logins because the hacker usually won't have access to your phone. You can have it go to your email, but if they're already in your email, that that wouldn't work. So you want it to go outside of something that's on your machine. So a phone number is so preferred. A phone, yeah, a cell phone's usually preferred. You do have to be careful with uh, Apple's though, just because the integration with iMessage and iPhones and everything mm-hmm. like, if it still could technically go to your phone, but it could also show up on your laptop if they're in your laptop. So would the ideal scenario be to use like an authenticator app? Are those like the the next tier of secure authentication? Mm -hmm. And if you've got multi-factor or two-factor authentication set up, you know, on a given account, whether it's your Netflix or whatever it is, those phishing attempts won't work because they'll still have to 
go in, use the login you've given to them. But then they'd have but to, they'll have to try the multi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you might get a ghost text. Your passcode right. is this. And right. That should be a red flag for you. Right. And then you go change your password. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, we, you know, we've, we've preached it here on, on other forms and video and articles. And I know you preach it in trainings. But, you know, I think a big takeaway for our listeners and anybody, if there's one thing you want to do to personally increase your digital security or the digital security of your company, it's enable multi-factor authentication on all accounts. From your bank to your Netflix to your Facebook, it's a pain in the butt. It is. I mean, my wife gets mad at me all the time. She's trying to log into the bank, and right. code comes to my phone. And but look, it's it's the small. I think it's a small price to pay to be safe. just a little bit more secure and safe. Yeah. I mean, and you think it's you think it's pain, but if your bank account ever got compromised, you're right. and yeah. you've lost thousands of dollars, it's probably not that big of a pain anymore. Yeah. So what's the importance of having different passwords for different sites? Uh, so that's important so that if, I mean, because if you use one password for everything, if they compromise and get that single password, then they could easily get into everything else. Is that like one of the first things they do if they find one password is they'll try a bunch of different stuff in your name with the same password? Mm -hmm. so, I feel I mean, seen. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like, like if they call in to do one of those scams, right? Hey, just call in. We heard you're having an issue with your machine. Let us get into it and look at it, right? One of those. Or if they get in and they're in your machine, like if they just go to your history and they could look and see what you've logged into, they may not get login information, but they could at least get the sites that they could try to hit. And if they have that one password, then heck yeah, they're going to try to use that one password wherever yeah. they're at. So. And that, that reminds me of another, you know, we started using a tool here at Executech, um, Dark Web, the yeah, ID scan. ID, ID agent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about how passwords end up on the dark web and what is what yeah. is this mysterious dark web? Yeah, so the dark web, I mean, it's, I, I'm not as techie as some of the other guys to talk about it, but high level, uh, you know, hackers will get these lists of emails and passwords and then they'll put it on the dark web for sale for other guys to try to buy to, to access other things um, depending on what they want to get into. So ID agent will actually, you can put your email address in there and it will scan the dark web to see if you've been compromised in any way. So like if there's been a breach uh, somewhere and they've gotten information from that, then that's where it would be. Okay, kind of shaky ground question. What's the difference between the dark web scam and like just going to have I been pwned.com? You know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know if I've ever been there. Just my guess is if you go to just have I been pwned or how, yeah.com, uh, you put in your email address and it will, I don't know if it's as, I don't know if it's going as deep as the dark web because the dark web, the ID scan is actually looking on the dark, dark web, web if right. you're actually on the dark web. So I guess my plug is, you know, as a, just an end user, you could put in your personal email to this website called haveibeenpwned.com. We'll put a link in the, in the episode. And it'll basically look for your email in these lists that have been exposed. Right, which is probably stuff that's been reported by reported like stuff. the FCC or whatever. Yep. That's probably how they pull that information. Where the dark web, like, that's just... Could have just happened secretly. In the right, area. out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Google will do that, too. As well. Oh, they do them. Mm -hmm. So if you have your password saved in Google, it will randomly do a scan that says, uh, 
this password may be a little iffy. You may want to change it. Yeah. So. I know Google also has their little uh, security checkup. Um, mm -hmm. They'll remind you to do it, but I also try and go back and do it, you know, at least once a year. Um, it'll have you go through and just check, right. make sure your passwords. information's correct, passwords, stuff like that. Cool. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We have a webinar coming up at the end of this month all about the dark web. I encourage you to go check it out on executech.com and to register for that. We'll be talking more about the dark web scan that we mentioned here on the podcast and more about what the dark web is in general. We look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.